Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Some People Call That Jesus. The topic of our episode today is the reality of sin, a word that's pretty common and used quite a bit, even outside of Christianity as well, I feel, in response to Christianity or a reference to it, but it's still a decently common word in, in a few different ways. But really, what does the Bible have to say about sin? We talk about it a lot in church and in Christianity, but really, what's the reality of it? We're going to be looking at a lot of key scriptures here to understand the nature of sin, where it's located, the effects upon us, what it does in our relationship with us and God, because it's important to have this relation, um, revelation and understanding in terms of what sin actually does. Because if we want to shun sin, as scripture says to do, if we want to depart from it, say no to it, walk away from it, um, not only just be forgiven of it, but to stay away and not give in to temptations to sin, then we need to know truly what it's about, the dangers of it, just how bad it is, so to speak. And that really becomes rooted in us in terms of an attitude and a mentality to help us combat temptation and sin as Christians, those who are walking with the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at the reality of sin and what Scripture has to say. The first note is in Romans 6.23, very popular verse, Romans 6.23. And that verse says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, very famous verse summarizes really in many ways the message of salvation that sin results in death. But the free gift of God is eternal life, the opposite and the solution to that. So the first thing to note in the reality of sin as we get to these different parts is that I put it down, it's the de deadliest substance known to man. And that's not a dramatization. It really is when you think about it. It's the deadliest substance known to man. And I put it in this way, almost like in medical terms, 100% of cases end in death. That's what Romans 6.23 teaches us, that the wages, or I like to think the paycheck for sin, if you partake in sin and choose to live that way, make those decisions, do those actions, say those words, 100% of cases result in death. The paycheck is always death for it. And that's very serious, and it's not just you fall over dead instantly, as you know, as you've experienced, because we came from a life of sin before accepting Jesus and being changed. But first, it destroys you or kills you spiritually. And it progresses and it destroys you emotionally, mentally. It takes over your willpower and your decision-making. And ultimately, it leads to our physical death. There was no plan for us to physically die until we chose sin and sin entered the human race. So there was never a plan for death. But God saw that we'd make these choices, that Adam and Eve would sin, and this would be the inevitable result. So we needed salvation, rescuing from that. But know that it always ends in death. And this is very important to keep in mind that there's always these consequences, very deadly, 100% of the time. That's why God had to make a sure way, the plan of salvation for us. But it's the deadliest substance known to man. That's the first reality of sin we need to understand. Now looking more into sin or the sinful nature, as scripture often calls it, firstly I put down here location. Where is the sinful nature and what are some of the characteristics of it? Strangely enough or uniquely enough, the location is within us ourselves. Again, we talk about Adam and Eve sinned way back, the beginning of humankind. Before they, uh, before they had kids, they sinned before mankind took off and spread across the face of the earth. So the sinful nature has been passed down. And Romans 7, verses 21 to 23, gives us more insight into where the sinful nature resides, so to speak. Again, that's Romans 7, 21 to 23, and I'll read it fully through. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. 
For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is within my members. And by members, he means his body. So it's very, honestly, strangely, mysteriously, but this is what the truth of Scripture says. The sinful nature is located within our flesh, our members, our bodies. That's the location of it. That's where many of these desires and temptations are stemming from, which we'll get into in a moment. This is why it's been passed down. It's because we all are born of flesh and blood. Everything Adam and Eve passed down through flesh and blood, including the sinful nature, that's why it goes down through all of us. So that's the location of it. And for later studies, building onto this one as well, as you begin to understand more of what we're comprised of, the way God made us in terms of spirit, soul, body, these different components and parts of ourselves, it adds a lot of significance to knowing that the sinful nature is within our flesh. But that's the location of it, so that's important to keep in mind. Romans 7, 21-23. Here's our next scripture. Still there in Romans. Romans talks a lot about it, if you haven't noticed yet. Two chapters back, Romans 5, 12. Romans 5, 12 talks about this, that tragically, like I was just saying, tragically, this is generational. All flesh, all human beings physically born, are born with the sinful nature. Romans 5, 12 says it this way. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, if you want to know what version I'm quoting here. And it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So even starting with the first people, before they had kids, before they had Cain and Abel, and later Seth, they had sinned. So the sinful nature was passed down. It says there, Sin entered the world through man, and death came through sin. Everyone sinned, so that means everyone has this resulting consequence of death that we needed to be rescued from. So not only is it located within our flesh, it's passed down to us. You're born into it, which is incredibly tragic when you think about it. The need for salvation so much higher that people are born, before they make any choices, they're born with the sinful nature. Then from there, as it said in Romans 7, the sinful nature takes over your mind your decision-making, and you start acting according to the nature, piling up more sin there. Adding more to the dynamic of us with sin, look at John 8.34. These are the words of Jesus during his earthly ministry. John 8.34, and it says this, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So here's the relationship. Here's the dynamic between us and sin. It's always a slave and a master relationship, with sin or the sinful nature being the master and us being the slave. Now, we learn to have a life in Christ beyond that saying no to temptation, battling the, uh, the allurement of those things and those thoughts. But when you partake of sin, you never have it under control. When you partake of sin, it's always the master, you're always the slave. Important to keep that in mind because sometimes we can be deceived into thinking, oh, this is just a small mistake, a small sin, a small error I know I shouldn't do, but I have it under control. It won't overtake me. It won't get too big. I can stop doing it anytime I want. Not true. If you enter into that relationship, it's master and slave. You always be in the slave. So it's important to heed the words of Jesus and not to deceive ourselves. Continuing on about the sinful nature being within our flesh, like I mentioned once already, but the sinful nature in our flesh is actually our primary temptation. Go to James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. 
In the New Testament, the book of James, chapter 1, in verses 13 through 15, gives a good explanation and more understanding about temptation and what it results in. So starting in verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death, or brings forth death. It's giving here the human life cycle. It's using it for sin. It says you get this temptation or desire, first and foremost from your flesh. It can overtake you suddenly. It says it drags you away and entices you. And it says if you consent to that, if you give into that temptation, if you agree with it, accept it in your mind, you ultimately act upon it. And he says when you act upon that temptation, after having accepted it in your mind, then you've committed sin. And that sin, once it matures, once it's full grown, always results in death, like we've already discussed. So understand that our flesh is the primary temptation. We need to know by the Spirit, through the Word of God, how to master the flesh, not to be drawn into it. Yes, the devil comes and tempts us as well. And he works to draw us into the flesh where the sinful nature is. He works to draw us into actions and words of sin so that there's that inevitable consequence of death and everything that partakes of spiritual death and eventually physical death. So that's important to know because sometimes we can blame everything on the devil, not to give him a pass. But our own flesh can tempt us. We need to know how do I handle myself, even my own body, even these desires that can come, even if no evil spirit's coming to tempt me. And knowing that the enemy, Satan and the fallen angels, will also try to draw you to your own flesh to please it because they know that's the deadliest substance, is the sinful nature within the flesh. So know where your primary temptations come from because you can master it from there by the Holy Spirit. Adding on to this further, understanding more about the characteristics of the nature of the sinful nature, is looking in Galatians 6, verse 8. Nearby here, Galatians 6, 8. This is a very important verse. And Galatians 6, 8 says this, For he who sows to his flesh will of that flesh reap corruption. Some translations say destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So just taking the part, not of the Spirit, but of the flesh here, it's that the return on investment, so to speak. Like if you invest, if you sow to please this flesh, I mean you partake of those temptations and those thoughts, you act upon them, you speak upon them, to partake of the sinful nature and the desires that it has, the result or the return on investment is always destruction and corruption. It's really the worst investment you could ever make. It's always a negative consequence. It's when you give it what it wants, it always turns out for your bad, ultimately. Sometimes you don't see the consequences immediately. And people get deceived. I've been deceived before in the past where you don't see the consequences immediately. So you think, is it really so bad? Is that really so bad what I did or this or that? All these consequences I was warned of as a kid. I don't see anything coming through, but it does. It can destroy you mentally, emotionally. It disconnects you spiritually, which is the most important. It can ruin relationships and so on and so forth. So we have to have scripture solidify in our minds. We have to have scripture build our attitudes and mentalities in relation to sin, knowing that even if I don't see immediate consequences here in the physical with my eyes as a result of the sin I've committed, know that the investment always returns something bad to you. We have to move by scripture and not just by what we see. As the Bible says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So you have to know from scripture the consequences are coming, helping us to stay away from sin to begin with. And a final verse talking about the location and the characteristics of the sinful nature. 
back in Romans, Romans 6, 19, before we move to the next section, I want to highlight one more piece that's very important. Romans 6, 19. And here's what the full verse says, and I'll tell you about the part that we're taking out for this. It says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. There's a lot to unwrap there, and the part that we're taking out for this um, particular episode about learning the reality of sin is right there in the middle where it says, when you offered yourself as a slave to lawlessness, which is sin, it says lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, or iniquity upon iniquity, or some translations say ever-increasing wickedness. The main point being it's a downward spiral. You can see this reflected in a lot of habits, lifestyles, life choices, is that it gets worse and worse. We just talked about if you sowed to please the sinful nature, you only reap destruction. Some people, they might get a temporary benefit or a pleasure from it, but then it always ends for their bad, and they seek that initial pleasure, comfort, reward that at first promised or at first looked to be or the experience seemed to be, and it ends in this downward spiral where it gets worse and worse, and people eventually say, I don't know how I got here. You know, people are shocked. They don't know how they got to rock bottom, but it's sometimes a subtle and slow downward spiral to start then it crashes down very quickly. So know that the iniquity is never satisfied. Not only is the return bad, but the desire increases. The flesh is never satisfied, and you just get more and more into it and worse and worse off. Very important to know. So now here we're going to look at really quickly sin and God's law in relation to this. Again, we're understanding the reality of sin, why it's so deadly, why it's so detrimental to you, and why it's so important that through the power of the Spirit we stay away from it and walk a life according to God's word. And the next scripture is 1 John 3, 4. Towards the back of your Bible here, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Short verse, and it says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Or sin is breaking the law, breaking God's word, disobeying what he has said. If you want a good, clear definition of sin, it's God's word that he speaks as law. And when you disobey his word, you're committing lawlessness or breaking the law. He says, in summary, that's what sin is. Anything that is contrary to what God has instructed you to do, disobeying that is sin. Regardless of what you think is sin, what shouldn't be sin, it all determines on what's God's word and what is the disobedience of that. So I put down sin is illegal. Okay, first and foremost, and most importantly, in the spiritual realm or in the heavenly courts the Bible talks about, sin is breaking God's law. He's the lawgiver and he's the judge, it says in the book of James. So if you're breaking God's law, sin is illegal in the spiritual realm, if you want to put it that way. He's the judge over all creation, and he set this law and word into place for our benefit. So breaking that is committing an illegal act, so to speak, just to wrap my mind around it, in the spirit. And we even know that here, just use our country, for example, here in the United States, many things that the Bible says is a sin, such as murder, stealing, also break the law of our government here. It's illegal here in the physical world, so there's a lot of direct connections. But first and foremost, know in the spirit, in the heavenly courts where God is judge and lawgiver, sin is illegal. It's breaking of the law. A verse to add to that of God's law and his judgment and how he acts accordingly is Jeremiah 9.24. Another famous verse as well, talking a little bit more about God's lawgiving and his judgment. Jeremiah 9.24. And it says this, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising 
loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So right there you see not only loving kindness and righteousness, but judgment, justice. God loves to be just, which is really rewards for righteousness and punishment for wickedness. That's what it is. You could say negative consequences, like I used to say often to kind of cushion the blow, but it's what it is. A judge has to deliver a verdict. God has to deliver a verdict. He offers us grace and mercy, but when you refuse that and continue in sin, the only thing left is punishment for sin, but there's also reward for righteous, and he freely offers us a way to righteousness through Jesus to escape those punishments and those consequences which Jesus on the cross took for us. So he delights in justice and judgment. God's going to fulfill that. It's part of his character. It's part of his delight. It's part of his nature, and his word has made it very clear how it will end and what the verdict will be. That's why he freely offers you the side of righteousness, right standing with him, partaking in the relationship with him and being free from these things that bring punishment and these bad consequences. To add a little bit more to his justice and judgment, just to have it in our minds, it's Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Kind of tells us what the sum of all things is and what it will look like at the end. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. You'll see that theme throughout the entire Bible. This is why God offers grace. He says it might not seem so now, but his word says is a time coming. It's called many places Judgment Day. Even in the world outside of Christianity, they refer to Judgment Day. God will bring every action into account, the good and the evil. So he says, I offer you a way out of your sin and those consequences that will eternally separate you from me, and I give you life freely. Because I'll bring everything into account, and I want your account to be clean. I want your record clean to only show the things you've received freely through Jesus. And the worst part of sin, being the deadliest substance known to man, all these effects we just read that come with sin, here's the worst part. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's really the sum of it. It really, in my mind, you have to have this understanding of all the other scriptures, but the worst part of it is, and why there's all these consequences that are terrible, is the result that you're separated from God, you're separated from life, from life, from his goodness. And so he says, you're separate. He's like, I can save, I can hear you, but you've been separated. You won't repent and turn and ask for forgiveness. You've been separated from me due to your sin. It's no issue on God's part or lack of him to save or hear you, but he's calling you to repent so that he can do exactly those things. So this is the lesson, the reality of sin. I hope I added some understanding and some knowledge for you to dwell on these scriptures, go back and read them, and to understand that this is the result of sin. I should be very careful. That's why we're called to life now without it. Not to carry it around all the time, but to overcome it by the Spirit. So I encourage you, whether Christian or non-Christian, to accept the free gift of forgiveness today. Free gift of forgiveness from sins that Jesus paid for on the cross with his blood and his sacrifice. Again, Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And Ephesians 1.7 talks about how we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of all sins. So that's my prayer for you today. I hope you take this to heart. Continue to study it further. Leave that life of sin, even if you're a Christian and some of those things you're holding on to, to leave those today, ask for forgiveness, and live a life beyond that, because that's a victorious life. 
Thank you for learning a little bit more with me about the reality of sin, and I look forward to studying again with you soon.